0: Hey coaches, thank you for tuning in to another episode of KYPD. This week's episode is unique because we have on my old college roommate, Neil Evans, head coach at Harding Academy in Searcy, Arkansas, to talk some ball with us today. Coach Evans grew up in Murfreesboro, Arkansas, where he played offensive and defensive line for the Rattlers before going to Harding University in Searcy, where he eventually walked on as an offensive lineman for the Bisons. Coach Evans began his coaching career as a GA at Harding before heading to Mobile Christian High School in Mobile, Alabama, as a defensive assistant. After one season as an assistant, Coach Evans was promoted to head coach of the Jaguars, where he led them to three straight playoff appearances, two appearances in the state quarterfinals, and the school's first ever number one state ranking. After three years at the helm of Mobile Christian, Coach Evans returned to his home state of Arkansas to become an assistant at Central Arkansas Christian High School, and then, after one season in Little Rock, left to become the head coach at Foreman High School in Foreman, Arkansas. From Foreman, Coach Evans moved on back to Searcy in 2016 to become the head coach for the Harding Academy Wildcats. Today, Coach Evans and I are going to share some stories from our college days at Harding and then get into the challenges he faced as a young head coach. Plus, Coach Evans spends a good amount of time explaining his philosophy for maximizing small school numbers and the 4-2-5 defense he brought with him and installed at Harding Academy. Coach Evans is a great football mind and an even greater friend, and I know you'll enjoy what he has to say on today's episode of KYPD. Neil, well, it's uh, good to finally get you on the podcast and uh, talk some ball with you. Not only are you a great friend, but also one of the best football minds that, that I know personally, so it's great to have you on. Thanks for coming on and talking with me.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm actually very humbled to, to, to make the cut. I've, I've not listened to all of them, but I've, I've looked at uh, the lineup you've had. And I, I don't feel quite qualified as, uh, as a lot of those guys,
0: but I'm, I'm uh, definitely happy to uh, to have the opportunity to talk a little bit. Well, don't worry, you're not. The only reason you're on here is because I happen to know you. So that's. Let's go ahead and just get past on that. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No. So today's today's episode will be a little bit different. Neil, as I mentioned in the beginning, is the head coach at Harding Academy High School in Searcy, Arkansas. Uh, actually, my wife's alma mater. And Neil and I also were roommates in college, so we are uh, we're really close and have a lot of no, We have a lot of embarrassing dirt on each other. Anyway, yeah, we're going to talk some ball and and probably tell some old stories and, and just have some fun. So Neil, start off by um for to tell us a little bit about your background, where you grew up, high school, college experiences, things like that. I, I grew up in the same house
1: in Murfreesboro, Arkansas, a little big town uh, north of Texarkana, about 45 50 miles. My dad is from there. Uh and so I grew up with my grandparents right there and so Actually, my great-grandfather played football at the same high school I played at. My mom's from Arkadelphia, Arkansas, a small town about 40 minutes away. Uh, And so my roots were essentially right there uh, my whole life. Um, And so, you know, I went to kindergarten uh, at the same school that I graduated from and and, uh, just had a really just cool experience knowing that I wanted to be a Murfreesboro Rattler. And it it was very important to me and, and... you know, was, I was, happened to grow up from about, uh, yeah, really about the year before I went to kindergarten, um, which would have been the fall of 91, all the way up through uh, about my eighth grade year was, was arguably the best run in my high school's history. And so I was, I was very eaten up with football, I was eaten up with football in my hometown. And so, you know, I, my roots came from, from, from a small school. And so, uh, you know, I've, I've told this story before. I actually uh, wrote a little, kind of a little write-up in our small hometown newspaper a couple of years back. We had a, our our public address announcer passed away, I guess it's been two and a half, almost three years ago. He did it from um, the mid-60s all the way up until about 2009. And so it was, it was, it, I mean, he was just an icon. You can imagine a guy like that in a small town. So anyways, yeah. I could. I can still remember the days of, you know, getting out of school, you know, I had Pepper Alexander school, elementary school, wearing my jersey to school, come home and I, my town is about 1700 people. And, and if you can imagine living in the middle of it, I literally lived in the middle of my little bitty town and he would, and his name was Freeman Henderson and he would come on the, the PA system and he would have this very specific routine that he would go through and I could hear it from my house and I always made sure that I was in the yard. Um, And I could even pretend that I was running out of the sign and and doing all this stuff. I mean, I just, I wanted to be a a football player uh, in my hometown so bad. And so, and so I I was, I I played there. I played for a guy that that I dearly love and and loved then and love now, a guy named Roger Featherston who had a huge impact on me and probably the single greatest factor in me wanting to become a football coach. And um, I was a pretty good player for my high school team. Again, a small school, and so there's a, a lot of people that are really good for their small high school. And so, yeah, I got ready to, you know, start thinking about college. And yeah, I knew I knew deep down about eighth grade. And I really liked to coach, but I I don't know when you're in school, you know, you 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 think your coach knows everything, and you're like, well, shoot, I don't know any of that stuff. Um, you know, I can't coach. I don't I don't know all this stuff. I I can't draw that play. I didn't, you know, I can't game plan. And so I was intimidated by the actual profession and so you know when i went to college i thought okay what what is it that's going to allow me to stay close to football without without you know embarrassing myself by getting out there and you know not knowing what i'm talking about and so i thought you know i'll be an athletic trainer you know my mom's a physical therapist and i kind of you know knew a little bit about rehab through her and some different things and so you know i thought you know maybe that's a way i can stay connected well then my, my idea of college football was really division 1. I. I had been to some division 2 football games, I seen it at a distance and and didn't know a ton about it. And so, you know, I was pretty realistic with myself, you know, I, I wasn't a division 1 football player. <laughs> uh, not in not at all. And um so I you know, I don't really think college football for me. And so I get to school my freshman year and, I become a trainer and I start working for the football team and I'm looking around. And I'm like, you know, I, I'm not as good as most of these guys, but I, I think I could hold my own. And I was kind of just, you know, I was just looking around and I thought, man, I, I'd like to give this a try. And so, you know, so the next year, my sophomore year, I go to coach Randy Tribble here at the time and, you know, and now I, you know, I talked to him about it and stuff. And man, he was a lot more patient and, and uh, willing to listen to me than I think I would have been if, if I was him, but you know, he, we talked a good bit. And he said, I'll tell you what now, I'll let you jump in with the red shirts and work out. And, uh, you know, so I jumped all over it. And so I'm not practicing or anything. I'm just, I'm just working out with the red shirts. Uh, and then the following year, you know, I stuck that out, went through spring ball anyways. Um I've I ended up playing the fall of my junior year and had a, a, an awesome experience and was, was way better than I ever thought. And uh, you know, at that point, I had switched my major. So after my freshman year, i had switched into becoming a coach. You know, going the education route and, and all that. And so then, I you know, I, I play my junior year, have a great experience. But you know, I'm I'm second team that year. I should be second team the next year. Uh, you know, if, if I'm starting the next year, we're we're in a, we're in a bad spot. And so. I went to a guy named Ronnie Huckabee who took over the program and I said, Coach, I'm you know, let's kinda of be honest with ourselves here and you know, I'm I'm not gonna be a great player, but I know I want to coach. You know, what would you say about me? Kind of turning it into a GA role. You know, I even went so far as to say, Hey, I'd like to sit for the recruiting, test and recruiting. He said, No, I think that's we, that'd be great. Uh, and so that's what I did. I did that for a
0: spring, a fall, and a spring.
1: Uh, that's kinda
0: of how I got into it. You got to tell the story about when you got your first start. Okay, so for those of you who who don't know me, I don't know what position you would
1: think I would play upon seeing me, but probably nothing. But I'm I'm five eleven, and I'm as wide as I am tall. I mean, I'm just a I'm a stump. And uh, so, you know, at that time, uh, the offense at Harding was in the air raid, and so you know if you if you took Texas Tech's model of recruiting, I mean, you you essentially would go out and get a get a, a power forward and, and see if you could put a little weight on him. I mean, you just wanted links and you wanted, you know, guys that were light on their feet. I mean, you wanted basketball players um, as offensive linemen just because it, you know, just required a, a, a different kind of lineman. So I'm as far from that as possible. But through whatever circumstances, uh, I'm the second team center. And, and, uh, and, and so I'm on the bus. The guy that's that's starting in front of me is one of, one of my best friends and a, and a really good friend of Ty as well. named name's Hayden Cruz, and so we're big buddies. Anyways, we get on the bus, and and we're, we're headed out, and I kind of got it in my mind, like, you know, this is the first football trip I've ever been on. I've not been nervous because it's the first one I've been on that I know I'm not going in the game, right. and so, yeah, I'm having a, a good old time, and uh, we go eat at Carabas and you know, like I could, I remember in high school, you know, I could barely eat, had a nervous stomach. And, you know, I'm like, this is, this is incredible. You know, here, here I go. And so I remember we all got water, uh, you know, it was already pre, you know, pre-fixed us. It was waiting on us when we got there. And so it was pasta and bread. And I don't remember if there was salad or not. I remember sitting at the table, with, you know, two or three other guys, and you know, they barely eat. I mean, they're just kind of pushing their food around. So I, I'm eating their food. Yeah, you're pounding it. No, I'm I'm pounding it. It's like a, it's like I'm on an eating contest. And, <laughs> and uh, I don't know if I ever shared this, but I, I slipped the waitress a couple bucks to bring me in, Dr Pepper. Because <laughs> <laughs> we were kind of hitting off in the back, and and, uh, and oh. so like I'm I'm chugging Dr Pepper's. and I mean I get on the bus, and I mean I can barely breathe. And so we go to Missouri Southern. And we dressed in their racquetball rooms, which yeah. which, had, which was basically at Pitt State. Yeah, I mean, it, it was a <laughs> yeah. Hour away from the field. Yeah, and I mean, it, it felt like a bad high school setup. I mean,
0: yeah, you know, it
1: was bad enough that we once we went out, we didn't go back.
0: No, we went and we went and talked in the uh, the lawnmower room where they had all the the maintenance yes, equipment. Yes, the defense
1: went in the lawnmower room, and the offense went on the steps on the yeah. edge of the stadium. Yeah. And so, anyway, so we, we go walking across. And, you know, it's the it's game one. You know, it's a concrete jungle between the dressing room. Yeah,
0: and the, day and game. The field. Day, oh yeah, day game.
1: I mean, it's just it's it's the worst setup it can be. And we get down in their 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 stadium. It's a bowl, and the turf is. I mean, it's melting. And so I'm on extra point. And, I mean, I can remember being out there just for like extra point free game going, man, I, I do not feel good. <laughs> And so, uh, anyways, I mean, I'm just surviving. I mean, I, I, I mean, I look like Chris Farley sweating now. I mean, I am, it's oozing out. And uh, so, you know, here, here we go, kick it off, whatever, you know. So, anyways, first series, I don't remember what happens. Anyway, second series of the game, we're on offense, and uh, it's our second possession. And so, like, I'm, I'm away from the action i'm away from the coaches i'm away from the, the subs like i'm down and uh anyways we throw a screen and so we, we pull some linemen out to get out in the open field well anyways one of them gets, just gets cut to the ground and uh, you know that which was nothing unusual and so i'm not really paying attention to who it is and you know everybody kind of gets around the around the ball and you know, I can see the trainer kinda of going out and I'm starting to count them. Yeah, you know, I see the tackle and see the guard and, you know, my heart's starting to beat a little bit and you know, there's the other guard. Ooh, there's the other tackle. Well anyways, the offensive line coach, he's probably forty yards away. You know, like I'm 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 trying to melt back. Like I'm, I'm trying to ease back like ooh, <laughs> this, this ain't me, is it? And so anyways, he called me Buddha because of my uh my body yeah your physique yeah he steps out on the numbers and looks down the sideline he screams i mean it's pretty quiet at this point (laughs) yeah he screams in his thick california accent well get in there buddha (laughs) well here i go (laughs) knee braces and all (laughs) i mean i smell like dr pepper and so here i go i get out there I mean, I am <laughs> swimming. They're in a they're in a three-three stack. We're an in inside zone team, so naturally I'm like, you know, we're not going to be able to run the ball. And so they know we can't run the ball, and so they just they have got it dialed up. They know that I can't handle it, and I mean, it was pressure, 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 pressure. Well, anyways, I'm gonna finish telling this. I, we we don't win the game, and it's probably my fault. But we go through the whole. We get through that game, so the next week I start. We get a, we go play West Alabama at home, get the win. Uh, well, anyways, the next week we're playing North Alabama. They're number one in the country, and they got they got the best Mike linebacker I've I have seen in Division II football. And the film we get uh, within the first three or four blitz cutups that we have, their Mike absolutely just destroys the center on the other team. And I'm sitting behind the guy whose place I have taken. He's coming back that week, and I'll never forget. We're watching film, and he eases his head back, and he said, "I can feel my knee getting tight again." <laughs> and I said, "You are starting this week, my friend." Yeah, yeah. So, was that anyway. the one?
0: Was that the game at their place? Yeah, uh, that was AJ Milwee. Maybe was the quarterback. Yeah, AJ
1: Milwee was the quarterback there. Yeah. They had the two twins from Memphis that were DN's on either side. Yeah. Uh the linebacker's name was Michael Johnson. Anyways, so I did get in that game towards the end and Zach Tribble threw a pick. At the time I could figure out that he threw a pick, I turned around and somebody that looked like he had run from the bleachers took me <laughs> off my feet. Oh shoot. So we come running off the field I kinda of run by, by Phipps, the old line coach, and he said, Sorry about that one.
0: Yeah. Well, that's, I, I remember that story well. I remember the look on your face. I think I was standing. I just remember where I was standing in the sideline. I wasn't standing next to you, but I remember seeing the, the look of, of sheer panic as you're fumbling around with your, your chin strap and pulling your helmet on, running out on the field. Oh, yeah, and I'll never uh, forget running out there
1: on the field going,
0: one of these is not like the other. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, before we move on into some football stuff, talk about, from your perspective, the first time we met, how we met because it was back in your training days your freshman year what what do you remember about that when i got there you know i'm
1: i'm taking it in I'm, i'm swimming i'm trying to be cool i'm trying to show everybody that i'm not the typical trainer that i have played football and so i've got this false persona going that's it's got me about nine miles outside my own body and uh i'll never forget you had a perfect mudflat mullet Oh yeah, looked like it looked like a seven, Um, and I mean I couldn't unsee it, and I'll never forget. I saw it. I saw it dry. That's why you took your take your helmet off, and I saw that thing wet. It looked like something out of a nineteen eighty eight Royal Rumble. Oh yeah, it was it was something to behold, and so I knew if if whether you were serious or not, that there was a chance you and I could be friends, and and i think i wanted to be your friend a lot more than you wanted to be my friend early on naturally <laughs> um and so i i mean i'm like where'd that mullet come from so you you give me this you know this kind of nice story it sounds a little bit like a hazing incident but anyway it
0: was it was
1: uh and so yeah that's that's it that's that's what i remember yeah. and then you know i was a big longhorn fan growing up and so you were longhorn fans so we had common ground and then then it took off in the music, you know, we mutually like music together. And, yep. You know, you played the guitar and I could play the drums. And so it just, it just, it, it kind of blew up from there.
0: Yeah. It was like the stepbrothers uh, scene where it said, you know, did we just become best friends? Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, and except, you know, you didn't have to call me Nighthawk or anything. Um, you didn't have to call me Dragon. There you go. <laughs> and so we, uh, I remember we both kind of figured out we wanted to coach. And I remember, um, you kind of got me involved and in, in, in sort of look around at camps Correct. and just and just starting to network, and I really credit you with uh, helping me out there. I remember we went up. Uh, we were still playing, and we just went and spent a day in the summer with Coach Kevin Peoples, who was the D-line coach oh, at yeah. um, Arkansas State at the time, and uh, we were going to drive up there and just talk ball with him in Jonesboro. It's about an hour and a half away. You came and picked me up, and I was just like in shorts and a T-shirt and, and flip-flops or whatever, you know, like college kid, whatever, and uh you were dressed up like like a coach you had like on a i don't know maybe like a golf polo and some coaching you know some short whatever and you said uh hey you might want to go change (laughs) and so i went around and and tried to find something halfway professional looking to throw on and i went up having a great time uh talking about coach peoples but yeah our uh our careers kind of took us different spots you've been in in alabama and uh, Arkansas, and I've been uh, in Mississippi and Texas, but we always always kept in touch and, and sort of followed each other's careers closely. So talk to us about, you got out, of, you left Harding, and, and you went to Mobile, and and that really started a journey for you, a uh, really kind of an unusual one for, for coaches, because you, you became a head coach early, and you also have, have spent really your entire career at smaller schools. So Talk a little bit about that first. Talk about your time at Mobile Christian and what that did for you. You know, you you went over there not intending to be the head coach, and then that sort of position was kind of handed to you. I mean, I think it was in the summertime. So talk about that and just some some challenges early on, as you know, being a young head coach in a, in a place that you were really unfamiliar with. I'm going to do the best I can to to condense
1: that down because that's a that's a that's a lot right there. But you know, I I knew about Mobile what. But- the typical person knows about mobile it's that there's a tunnel and you have to go through the tunnel to get to everything you want to get to on the other side which would be you know typically the beach and so I knew nothing I knew obviously that football mattered in Alabama Um, and I knew that there were a ton of great recruits uh, that always came out of mobile and so I, I, I had an idea that the football there was good but I go down there and I go down there with a guy from Harding was actually his O-line GA. And, I, and at the time, I thought I was going to be on the offensive side of the ball. And so, you know, I go down there kind of almost expecting to coach yeah. offense. But I go down there with him. He's kind of the head coach in waiting. That's a unique story I won't get into. But he was down there. The, the guy that was the head coach was, was going to step out. But he wanted to coach his son his last year. And so, they, they almost spent a year as co-head coaches, which was a which was a very uh, strange uh, thing for me to be a part of. But anyways, the guy I went with was – the was the D coordinator for that year. And so I, I got on the defensive side with him, coaching linebackers a position I knew nothing about. And so um, I get down there and just, I mean, just absolutely fall in love with every bit. I fell in love with the city of Mobile. I fell in love with the, with the school, with the group of friends we had. So um, life's changing. We had our first child down there in, in January. So I spent that fall, so we moved in the summer. Moving June of 2010, my wife's pregnant with our first child. and So that January, uh, after my first football season, she's born. Uh, Well, anyways, I'm at Disney World with the guy that I went to Mobile with. And uh, he tells me while we're at Disney World, he's taking a job in Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, at the time, I I was pretty flustered about that. And, you know, here I am traveling, you know, all the way down here, you know, not knowing anybody, blah, blah, blah. And so... Anyways, do that. I get back. We get back from Disney. I leave. actually leave early from Disney because I'm, I'm frustrated about all that. And so it's not worth me staying there and pouting because I'm, I'm doing a bunch of pouting. So I take off and you know, leave Friday. or well, Saturday afternoon, the superintendent of the school calls me. And he said, hey, are you going to Nashville with, with Brian? And, and I said, no, not that I know of. And he said, come in my office in the morning. Well, anyways, I'm in his office about 630 Sunday morning and this, you know, he's dressed for church. I'm dressed for church and I'm 24 years old at the time. And he says, I think you're ready to be the head coach here. Are you interested? He lied. I was not ready to be the head coach (laughs) there. Um, And and he also lied because he said he thought I was, he was just, he he should have said, I'm going to do you a big favor and I'm going to help you a bunch. You're going to be the head coach here if you want it. That's how that that should have gone. Um, but anyway, so I become the head coach there, at 24 years old, and I'm a little ashamed to say, but I I was married to that, and um, that became my life, um, and it reflected it too. Uh, my family suffered, um, my my relationship with my wife suffered, my health suffered, but we won a lot of football games, mm-hmm. and, I, and I I built a a uh, very competitive program, and you know, very very quickly. Now, uh, we had a great run of players. Uh, I'm not gonna take anything away, but um, but I but I put a tremendous amount of effort in there. Um, probably, uh, I would say almost too much looking back. Um, and so that, you know, my you're right. My career is very very unique, and, and we we had some success there. We got beat in the third round my last two years by, by the state runner-up. Both times, a team that was actually in our region as well, and so we ended up playing them four times in two years, and and, and just never could get over the hump uh, with them. But anyways, so um, I spent three years there as the head coach, um, and then I come as an assistant to the guy, the guy who's who was playing in front of me at Harding, the starting center, was the defensive coordinator at a school in Arkansas called Central Arkansas Christian. Came back to work with him for a year, and then had an opportunity to go uh, to a little bitty school down on the Red River, in the farthest corner of Arkansas that you can get. A little town called Foreman. Uh, our house there was six miles north of Texas and four miles east of Oklahoma, um, and so it's down there in the corner. And uh, went down there and struggled. Knew I was going to struggle, uh, but the middle school team was was outstanding, and so. Anyways, I uh, went down there, struggled for a year, but, but knew it going in, and uh, I got a text from a guy named Roddy Moat, who's the D coordinator at Harding University now. He, at the time, was head coach at Harding Academy. He reached out mm-hmm. to me the last last week in, in January and, and mm-hmm. said, I'd, I'd like you to consider coming to be my D coordinator here. And I said, you know, I actually sent him a video. We had a nose guard who was a freshman at the time. And I mean, it legitimately, he ripped 450 five times as a freshman nose guard wow. uh, on squat, and he's just very impressive young man. Anyways, they ended up winning the state championship two years later with that group at Foreman. But anyways, I sent him that video, you know, lightheartedly, but said, Coach, I'm going to have a hard time leaving this. Well, that was on a Thursday. Uh, well, anyways, I told told Whitney about it on Sunday. I withheld it from her till Sunday that Coach Mel had reached out. Well, anyways. She broke down in tears, you know, wanted to wanted to come back to a place that we, we loved and Cersei and, and a place that we loved in and, and, and the Harding community. Um, and so I went from not taking it on Thursday to being in the principal's office that following Monday, uh, essentially telling her I, I was going to take it. Uh, and so, anyways, I'm the D I'm the coordinator and waiting for two and a half months. Uh, Coach Moat leaves, goes to Harding University rather than Harding
0: Academy and that opened up the, the head coaching spot here and that's that's currently where I am. So like I said a very unique fast track career. Yeah, again not the not not the typical path that most coaches follow and I'm sure that presented its own challenges and and just unique issues that you had to and growing pains that you had to work through, you know, talk about becoming a head coach when you're 24 years old. You know, so talk about a little bit about those, just in general, maybe not at one place specifically, yeah. but just in general, what yeah. were some challenges that you uh, had to deal with as a young head coach?
1: Well, the first thing is, and, and these these are these are two sides of the same coin, I would say. I would number one, I would obviously say that I was going to have to lean on some people who were older than me, um, but, but there were things I didn't know. I mean, I'm talking about from. You know how do how do I get a bus? How do I get a PO? To how am I going to put together a full game plan? You know, even though I'm not the O coordinator, how am I going to put? How am I going to look at what the O coordinator is doing and, and 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 see is is this a good game plan? Is this who we say we are? Do we have enough wrinkles? And does it fit the matchup defensively? You know, if we're horribly overmatched, uh, we probably don't need to. You know snap the ball three times in 20 seconds and give them the ball back, you know? And so just thinking about all those things, and so you, so there was a level of transparency and vulnerability that I had to, that I had to come to terms with. And it was very difficult. Now the other side of that coin becomes very tricky because it's an uncomfortable feeling to be the authoritative final voice with someone who's your dad's age. Yeah. And I ran into that. And that's that's something that is, is only done by taking yourself serious. And, you know, I think a lot of times as coaches, we can get in trouble when we take ourselves too serious. But in that instance, I had to learn how to take myself very serious. And I think one of the biggest things I learned was those guys were going to let me fail and let me look like a clown. So long as I was transparent and honest with them about myself. So a lot of times I would lead staff meetings with something like this. I would say, I don't have all the answers. I've watched a lot of film during the season. And I'm going to be leaning on you guys a lot. But at the end of all this, my name is on it. And so what I ask is I ask that you let me make my mistakes. So if I say, Hey, we need to go for it here. And, you know, we're backed up on our own too. Can you fish eye me? And I say, by gosh, we're going for it. I just need you to say, coach, we're with you. And when I look like a, uh, a jack wagon, you know what? I need to look like a jack wagon, but I don't need to look like a jack wagon and have you against me. And I think that level of transparency of telling them that I don't have the answers, but I'm fighting to find them, made them want to come to work very hard and rally. A rally behind a guy who was younger than a couple of their sons. And I it's by the grace of God that I had that. I don't know if wisdom, but you know, I could have I that could have gone a lot worse for me. I'll tell you what did go bad though. What did go bad was my record and proving myself, becoming my identity. Because I got it at such an early age, I knew the opportunity that I had to kind of roll the carpet out for myself and think, Neil, if you don't do this well and you don't show everybody how competent you are, you know, you're going to blow it. And so I was driven by fear of failure, which you know, which is good to an extent, but that's not that's not a place that I want to sustain uh, my motivation and my joy and my energy.
0: Well, I mean, again, you mentioned yeah, that is wisdom. I mean, to, to be able to, as, as, as a 24-year-old and you're, and you're talking with guys, like you said, who are your dad's age and to be able to admit that you don't have all the answers, but then also say, hey, at the end of the day, my name is on this and you got to allow me to, to make mistakes. That's that's a great piece of advice for, for any young coach, whether they're you know stepping into a coordinator position for the first time or head coach position or even as an assistant coach position wherever those wherever you are in your career as a young coach that's that's uh, a great piece of advice there for, for those guys let's talk about harding academy specifically uh a great program small school uh there in searcy arkansas uh how many how many kids do you have in your high school program
1: yeah we got right now we got 46 on the roster uh that's 10 through 12 um and then eighth and ninth place together uh and then seventh grade plays placed by themselves and so that's the uh, to my knowledge, that's the that's the biggest number in school history. And so we're we're very proud of that number. We actually had to build three new lockers this offseason to, to accommodate us. Had to order new uniforms. I mean, it was just it was a very fun problem to have. You, know, you can ask my assistant coaches. Numbers are a big deal for me. Um, I think football is a game of numbers, and I think when you have good participation in football, uh, I think it runs the potential to drive the daily. I don't want to say culture of your school because that's that's overused but I just think it changes the entire environment of your school Um, And so that's a that's a big deal uh, For me, and it's something that that I'm that I'm very proud of Um, It's something that that, you know if you were to ask our assistant coaches they would they would tell you that's a that's a, a source of pride for for me and for us
0: talk about the challenges or the logistics of things with when you're, when you're operating with a team that has 46 kids on it, you're trying to keep people healthy and you're trying to find a spot for everyone. Uh, I know y'all are doing some unique things with the, how how you are using your players. So talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. So, you know, having played at a small school, you know, played, played both ways. When I went to mobile, we played both ways. Then I went to CAC in Little Rock uh, and we were a 4A school. They still are. Uh, had players play both ways. Then I go to 2A Foreman, uh, so obviously small school, players play both ways. Get to Harding Academy, we get got 28 on the roster when I get there. Don't even think anything about it, players playing both ways. Well, my second year there, we've got about three guys that end up playing both ways, but we still have split practice. We have offense, and then we go to defense even though we only had about three players playing both ways. Well, I go down to Pulaski Academy and, and visit with them, and I'm intrigued by what they do. Not necessarily if you know anything about them, you know, about you know, the kicking game and all that. I'm not, I'm not as intrigued by that as I am. The way that they continually produce with sometimes average athletes. And so um, I get down there, and they, they, they are one way. And I'm blown away. I mean, I'm watching some guys on their defense and I mean I would tell them that's too, you know, who who appear to not have any business to be being on the field playing way above their talent. And that got me thinking. And so last last football season, the fall of eighteen, we we implemented this. We implemented a two platoon or a one way, you know, so we got offense and defense split. Um, And that has probably been, from an overall program standpoint in my short time as a coach, that has probably been the most significant and best thing I have done. There's no way, there's no way we have 46 kids on our roster right now if we don't do that. Because there are kids that were playing basketball. There were kids who were doing nothing. There were kids who were, you know, just simply coming and sitting in the stands and seeing a the guy, they viewed themselves as athletic or more athletic than, you know, being one play away from getting in the game or getting in the game. And so it's, it has driven everybody through the roof. And so, you know, yeah, it, it's very scary to school our size because you look down and you go, Hey, that, that, that number two hit receiver is, is really not very talented and he's probably not ready, but I'm convinced that, that that most people in general, but especially quality kids and quality football players, want nothing more than to not let me or their teammates down. And when they feel like they're one play away, it's unbelievable how much more you get out of them in practice, in film, in the classroom, in the weight room, in everything, because they know I'm one play away. And We tell our guys all the time, when the backup comes in the game, one of two reactions is going to happen. Number one, every coach and every player is going to say, we're going to be just fine. I've watched the way that guy works. I've watched him condition. I've watched him go through Indy. I've watched him play scout team. I've watched him do everything. and He's ready. Or it's going to be the other end. Oh crap. What are we going to do? Because that guy hasn't prepared. That guy hasn't worked hard. All those things. And so, Tell you that the effort at practice, even from even this spring, counting last spring, last fall camp, last season, and this spring, it's been unbelievable how much better the effort is. Um, I think all our coaches would tell you that our that, that our coaching effort has gone way down because our guys are policing themselves now with this, and so it's been it's been huge. As a matter of fact, it's made our staff better um you know we're a small staff we got we got six coaches which is actually pretty good for for our size school in arkansas we're a 2 A school but we play up a class because we're private and that's the way the state association uh kind of sets that up but it's made our coaches so much better and you know i'll be honest with you You know I'm, I, I, I'm on the defensive side of the ball i've been the d coordinator uh for the majority of my career but i, I was able to hand it off last year to another guy but i still coach the safeties and i got some safeties right now who who are not ready who are not ready to play but it's kind of the idea of, of burning the ships like this is what i got and so on. i'm pouring everything i got into getting this kid who may not be ready ready and so rather than pulling the kid that's you know it's the first team receiver over if something goes wrong with my first team safety and plugging him in i'm way more invested in this other guy and i he's going to produce And it, and it proved it last year we won I know for sure we won two games because of it, but I think we won three and we almost won a fourth. We came back from three scores down in the second half and, and almost won the game because we were more fresh. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have to think it's one of the best things we've, I know it's one of the best things I've ever done in my career.
0: Well, you mentioned the, uh, you know, like having a safety. Okay. That's not ready. So let's say it's in a, let's say you're in a must win situation or it's, it's the final drive the other team's got to go score to win the game and they're driving 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 is there a scenario where you pull one of those safeties out and put that receiver in that's a maybe a better athlete or better at, at going up and getting a ball we call those we 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 package that
1: on both sides of the ball and so we have a best 11 getting them on the field um, and we practice that Uh, And it's typically during the week, we we set up scenarios where we want that. So yes, that is correct. If it's the end of the game and the best player on the field has a chance to, you know, (laughs) knock a ball down and pick it, or just it's a better athletic matchup. You bet, especially if we can do it off a timeout, you know, we can, we can, if we can run them out there, see the formation, you know, see where they're trying to put their, their guys so we can get the matchup, you know, that, that type of scenario, you bet. But, you know, in a typical situation, it's gonna be that second team guy. Because here's what I here's what I do believe too. If I tell these guys they're one play away and I coach them like that and they work like that, and then I yank the rug out from under them, as soon as I do that, everything I've said and everything I will say will be invalid. They'll they'll think i you didn't mean it.
0: Yeah. So what I guess what I'm hearing you say is that there is a you do have guys who are prepared to play both ways, whether it's offense or defense, and you prepare for that. If it's a must-win situation, you know you got to you get getting your best eleven on the field. So you're not for, for those guys who are maybe listen to this and a little bit skeptical. Of course, when it's nut cutting time, you're going to have your your best eleven on the field. Yes, no, they they do not ever go to in that you know they don't
1: ever right. Switch indie, they don't ever, you know, they don't right. ever switch in jerseys in
0: practice. But, but we do have team segments where we get the best guy on the field. Right. And so let's so let's just recap some of the benefits of you know going from this you know playing both ways to 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 the two platoon system is you feel like your players are more fresh. There's more buy-in because they feel like they truly are one play away from getting in. Coaches are better there's there's less effort issues your numbers have been better so if i'm a coach that has been playing at a smaller school that's been playing my guys both ways because i'll, I'll be honest where i'm at where where i've been is the, the conversation hey we got to start using more of our guys on both sides of the ball most of our athletes and and it, but it's probably more of a situation kind of like what you're talking about getting our best 11 but anyway if i'm in a situation where i am playing my players both ways and I'm interested in, in, in making that transition. How do I go about doing that? You know, is it a gradual thing? Is it rip off the band-aid? How, how do I go about doing that? Well, the, the first thing I would say is
1: and that, you know, it's going to be hard for me to say, but I, I believe it to be true. I, I'll, I'll speak just like actually doing it and how do I think about it? Here's what I have found out. I mean, I don't think, I don't think this applies to the collegiate level, but... At the high school level, I believe, especially if you're in a if you're in a a spread type of offense, and I know that's a broad brush to paint with, but if you're in a spread type of offense, you have to have athletes at skill positions. You do. You just you just do, you cannot you cannot sustain twelve play drives. You just can't do it. You have to have explosive plays. The only way to have explosive plays is to have explosive players. And so what we have done is last year, in in the fall of 2018, we kind of handcuffed our offense a little bit, but we gave them some athletes. But in our minds, because we have been good defensively here since I've been here, um, we thought we'll give the offense enough, but we'll maintain our same standard of defensive player, and we'll grind these games out. Well, we grinded some games out and ended up losing them. And so we ended up, you know, losing games where we kept, you know, we kept them to two and a half scores and lost. And so there's a guy named Mike Judy, who has a uh, a podcast where he talks about this exact same scenario, um, and it's wonderful. Um, and Kevin Kelly talks about it at Plasky Academy as well. But you have to put your your best skilled players on offense. You just do. And I think for a couple of reasons, but I do believe in high school football, especially at our level, we can we can kind of take the ten thousand hour rule and we can develop defensive football players through repetitions, through through scheme, through making them outstanding tacklers from capitalizing on their effort. And so we have taken that approach and this spring has been astronomical how much better it is. You know, right now we're getting torched on defense, but you know that's what that's what we wanted. Um, We wanted to give our offense, you know, the the players to be able to go make plays because we are a a spread, a legitimate air raid offense. Um, We've got to have those dynamic guys uh, at the skill positions. And so um, it's a whole lot easier to take a tough average athlete and turn him into into a salvageable corner with lots of technique, lots of tenacity and lots of will. And uh, you know, putting a burning desire in him—that's a whole lot easier to do than creating a burning desire for a guy to you know take a hitch to the house. Yeah, you know, sure. it's just, it just—it just doesn't work that way. And I—I I made that mistake my first year in this. But now it's—we've—I I don't want to say we've got it figured out because we haven't played the fall with it yet. But I know the demeanor of our team has changed because we feel like we can be in a lot of games because we know we can score right now.
0: Yeah. So that would be your first piece of advice then would be to make sure or make that decision of having your best skill players on offense. Do you have a a method or or a way that you, you split up linemen because I know especially at small schools linemen can be few and far between and you can have a a linebacker that looks that, that has the same body type as your left tackle, right? I mean I mean there's, there's sometimes not that much of a difference. So again at the at, at that level how do you decide, okay, this lineman goes offense, this lineman goes defense? What are you looking at there?
1: Yep. So again, we go back, we go, okay, you know, if there's a guy who's who is a natural in one spot or the other, we're gonna to try to make that work. But when a guy is not a natural, the next thing we we look at is who is the more talented player? And the more talented player will go to offense, <clears throat> the bigger, the stronger player. We'll go to offense. We say we're going to lift our way to defensive linemen. We we believe that we can offseason our way to, to defensive linemen at our level, and and we do not feel that way uh, about offense. And so I would say that I don't know if the more talented guy, because I guess that depends on what you're what you're saying. You know, if you if you're measuring, you know, 40 and and, and shuttle, um, or you know, pro agility offensive line is probably not going to pan out as well as the guy that's going to play the D-line for us, or it shouldn't anyways. Um But a guy that you would look at to where you'd go, man, is that guy a big old three or is he a, is he a big guard? Well, he's probably going to be a big guard for us. Um, you know, our defensive line probably averages, I'd probably say between 215 and 220, and our O-line averages 235 and 240. Oh, wow. Uh, and wow. so that's, well, that's the biggest we've been is this year, but we're between 235 and 240 on the O-line. And so, that kind of gives you an idea of
0: of, uh, of of kind of how we personnel that and how we go into it. Well, let's let's move over to the uh, to the defensive side of the ball, uh, yeah. and, and talk with, with the time we have remaining, and, and talk about your defensive front in particular. Y'all are an even front. What made made you want to get into an even front when you got there? Because I believe were they a three three stack when you first got there.
1: No, they were three, four. They have,
0: they have been an odd front since the seventies.
1: Okay. Um, I'm telling you, it, when I got here and I went to an even front, it, it probably rattled people as much as anything. I mean, it, in some humor, but there were also some people very concerned. I mean, this is a, this is a very tradition rich school that's done things well for a really long time. And so for me to come in and change the defense was a big deal, but you know, I when I was in high school, I played in an even front. Um, and so that's, that's what, that's what little I knew. And so that's, you know, I kind of gravitated to what I knew. And so I uh, got to Mobile Christian and that first year there, we were an even front um, and then we stayed at even front. And so we were, we were an old school, uh, four, three, my first year and, and just had a hard time with the run fits. You know, our Mike was a two gap player. He was, you know, strong, a weak B and, and we were just really having a hard time and, and you know, I, I didn't know how to teach that guy very well, and you know, so I ended up just, you know, kind of those those bad times where you just want to tell him to have some savvy, and you know, that's not what needs to be said, but you, you're out of things to say. Yeah, you just you yeah. just want to say, hey, please be good. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And, and so I called a guy that played hard at Milnero. I'm talking about Cam Clark. And oh yeah. Cam, uh, Cam was at Arkansas State at the time, and, and he was. Uh, that was when Hugh Freeze was at Arkansas State and Dave Womack was his big coordinator. And so Cam and I would talk, and he would talk about the simplicity of Dave Womack's defense. And Dave Womack's been everywhere, but he kind of made a name for himself running the 4 5 at Georgia Tech. So I called Cam, I'm like, Cam, I got to get out of the old school 4-3. And, and I said, you know, the thing about a 4-4 that scares me is, I, you know, I feel like I'm bound to cover three, you know? And so then he's, and so anyways, he's between dave womack and gus Malzon coming in arkansas state so he's just kind of there he doesn't know what's going to happen so he comes to mobile for about a week and a half and stays with me he he clinics our staff and he gives us everything and so we're running dave womack's 425 stuff now it has certainly morphed and, and taken on its own you know it, it's it's good it, we've, we've put our spin on it but Um, our base stuff, all, all of our teaching stuff, the tree, all of it is day You know, that's a, that's a little bit more of, uh, uh, the Bud Foster of Virginia Tech as opposed to the, to Gary Patterson at TCU. And so that's where it comes from. Um, you know, I, you asked me earlier, you know, when we kind of talked about this, why do I believe in it? I don't know if I've got a great answer for that, but I, I do know this if i am so sold out to believing in my defense and i am so sold out to that this is what this is what we're doing and this is how we're going to do it and these are the ways we're going to do it that i run a great chance of being able to make adjustments and that's kind of why i have stuck with it and you know, early on in my career, I was like, you know, is this the best or is that the best? No, this is the best. And, you know, you go back and forth, and and you you ask yourself a thousand times, is this the best? And, well, Cam created this. Cam told me this, and and I, it stuck with me, and it's just kind of become my philosophy. You know, I don't venture out. I don't I don't read about odd front stuff. I don't read about a ton of coverages that I don't play. I'm trying to become elite. At what we already do and, and read and study and talk to people who can enhance what we do. And maybe that, maybe that makes my football knowledge. I know it makes my football knowledge not as good, but if I, if my mind is cloudy and I'm not, I guess I'm not smart enough, but if my mind is, is clouded with other people's ideas and philosophies and, you know, I've read this article and that article, then I'm chasing two rabbits and I will catch neither. Yeah. Um, and so that's that's kind of what we've done. That's that's what I've always done. And and we've just tried to make be, become as elated at it, at it as we can. And, and I've, I've, I feel like we've had some, some good defenses uh, in my career and, and certainly in Harding
0: Academy. Well, I think you mentioned something that's key there is, especially for guys who you spend all offseason going to clinics or, or finding stuff online or, or talking with coaches, that – you have to have a philosophy in place and you have to view everything through the lens of that philosophy. Otherwise, you know, everything's going to sound good. You know, when you go to a clinic and you see all the video and you know, everything's meshed together and, and they're making plays and the dude's got a, a power five conference logo on his jacket, you know, and you want to run back to uh-huh. your coach. And, and, and I think the key is, is that we have to, like you said, Hey, this is what we're going to do. And we're going to look at everything through that lens. And if, and it fits, you know, if it can be something that we can add to or or modify to fit our scheme, great. If not, then then we really don't we don't need it. We yeah. don't need it. We don't need it in here. You know,
1: one of the one of the things that I uh, I guess I've kind of learned is, you know, people would say all the time. I, well, not all the time, but people say, you know, coach, I can't play even from. We don't have any linemen, or or you know, coach. You know, as a high school coach, you you kind of got to change your scheme for your players. I'll be honest with you. Every high school team I've, I've observed, or studied, or talked to, or looked at doesn't do that. Every team that I want to emulate or say, "Man, I, they're they're consistently successful," that does not change. That the scheme does not change. Yeah. Uh, they may make a few tweaks, but if you have looked at the shell of of a, of a really good team from five you know five years ago to now, assuming they got the same coordinator. Hopefully you would see some similarity. Um, yeah. You know, the other thing that happens too is it scares me to think this, you know, but let's say, let's say all of a sudden I wanted to jump into an odd. Well, let's say I got a kid who goes home and he gets on his phone and he Googles D switching from an even to an odd. Well, he gets on there and he finds some article that says, you know, where a coach says, you know, we weren't as talented, so we had to get in this. And then, he goes, well, coach doesn't believe in us, and now all of a sudden I've got that spreading through the locker room. You know, th- those scenarios are real for me. Um, but you know, our, our players, I coach some, in, some intelligent kids based on the kind of, you know, the school where we are, and I play, I, I coach some kids who have a high football IQ, and I coach some kids who are very uh, inquisitive and intuitive. This is the first place I've been that's been like this. So I've got to be very, very conscious of, of making sure that that I kind of stay in control of that narrative or out in front of the narrative as much as possible.
0: Yeah. Well, I, there have been a lot of guys on this podcast who come on and talk about, and, and uh, this is a trend that you're definitely seeing in today's defensive game. That you know, if you're going to base out of out of an even front, but then sometimes employ odd front stuff or mix some of that stuff in with the, the idea being. Hey, if the offense is going to give us different looks, why can't we give them different looks? And sometimes, sure. and sometimes it may favor us, matchup-wise or whatever. But mm-hmm. but even then, I think that at the end of the day, they still are, have that base defense, that philosophy that they are tethered to, that that everything else just stems off of that. You know, the the language is still the same. Uh, the fits is where you kind of get, gets a little mm-hmm. muddy sometimes, but yep. but but the terminology. Everything is the same. It's just sometimes we're going to add, you know, pull, pull this guy off, put this guy on because we think it gives us a better matchup. You know, sometimes these guys get into this flavor of the week type defensive scheme yeah. where they yeah. saw something on Saturday or Sunday and they're going to try to throw it in. So I, I think, and, I, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, I don't want to misquote you or whatever. I don't think you're saying there's anything wrong with that because you're still tied to your your base, but it's, as far as – you know, flip-flopping schemes all the time and, you know, chasing rabbits is is where you run into issues. Yeah. You know, here's a, here's a, here's a great example. And I got help you
1: understand, you know, in terms of our front, um, I think what an offensive coach would love to do is to know that number one, you're going to play with a three and a shade and two fives and where you're going to put them. I think he would love nothing more than to know that. Right. Um, And so, um, here's a great example. You know, this this is not our base right here, but this is a little bit of an odd front scheme. You know, if we're going to get inside zone, um, and we know that that's that's your base play, we're going to play a lot of two eyes and four eyes. I'm talking about pre-snap. We're going to line up there, and you know, it, it, you're going to get a pull read, right? I mean that that, right. that the, the quarterback's read should read should read pull. Well, what that does is that allows our linebackers to play so much faster than they would if they had to go, well, you know, I'm responsible for quarterback here. What, you know, it's the back two meters away from me. So he goes through that whole scenario. Yeah, they still go through that whole scenario or they should, but they know that they can play with a little more width and it it just changes things. And that's a a little snippet of kind of what I'm talking about. Right. Um, You know, that's not our base front. Uh, Matter of fact, we – and through through the spring, we haven't even talked about that front, but we will carry that front into into fall camp, and we'll carry that front into uh, into games where where we feel like inside zone is the base play. And so there's there's a I could talk a lot about a lot of different things uh, in that realm, but that that's a little bit of it. Yeah. Um, again, that goes back to an a front because you know we're ten personnel, and the last thing we want to see is a is a four eye exactly um, because we have no cutback and so it kind of goes to the same the same exact uh
0: scenario and
1: that philosophy so i hope that, i hope that helps i hope that
0: yeah. sheds some light on uh, of the direction I'm, I'm heading with that for sure well and you bringing that up reminded me that it, we didn't even get into uh we had, we had planned on talking for i some and 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 some of your different shades and things that you guys do as far as pre-snap alignment or, or just movements and twist games and stuff so we're going to have to bring you back, I guess, and and we can talk some more about that uh, at at another time. But as sure. we get ready to wrap it wrap it up, uh, talk about some things that you have either already done this offseason or that you plan on doing this summer to improve yourself as a coach and get better for the upcoming season.
1: Well, I I, I alluded to this to you, I think, the other day, and I and I I was having a conversation with with our defensive staff. You know, I think a lot of times as coaches, our gauge for where we are currently uh, is oftentimes based on the feeling that we had uh, either at the end of the previous season or at the same time uh, in the previous season. So, you know, how I feel right now at the end of May is a lot based on how I felt the end of last May. Um, And so, you know, I've got to be very, very careful and we, as coaches, and I'm speaking to my staff. I'm not here to tell anybody else how to feel. But um, me, my, speaking for myself and for my staff, we have to make sure that our joy and our zeal and our fire as coaches is not dictated based on how we feel good or bad with the group that we have uh, in terms of where they are, whether that's. Um, their intelligence. You know, how fast can we install? Um, if it's their athletic ability, you know, how much how much man can we play? How much can we bring pressure? How much can we not? All those things, and that's that's kind of what I'm working on is coming back to that every day, making sure that this group, that that you know, this player, this position group, this defense, this team uh, gets the best version of me, and it's not dictated on on how I feel about them at the moment or how I feel about, you know, how much further we are or are not based on whatever the standard is I'm using, which for me happens to be the previous year.
0: Neil, great stuff, man. For a second there, I, it took me back to, um, 2006 sitting on the front porch of our house on uh Hussey street there in Searcy. Yeah. Those times we'd get together and talk some ball and just life in general, but well, want to again thank you so much for for coming on and sharing sharing with us about your coaching career and the lessons you've learned and know that you guys got some great things going on over there at Harding Academy. I want to wish you the best of luck this next year.
1: Yeah, man, I, I appreciate you uh, having me on and man, it's just it's, it's it's very humbling to even to even be asked. So, uh, I appreciate it.
0: Big shout out to my friend, Coach Neil Evans, for coming on and talking with us today. If you'd like to ask Coach Evans any questions about his two-platoon system or philosophy behind only using one-way players, send him an email, which you can find in the show notes for today's episode. I know he would be happy to talk with you. Our quote of the day comes from a band that was a favorite of mine of Coach Evans in college, and it is, It ain't about the money or even being number one. You gotta know when it's all over, you did the best you could have done. Knowing that it's in you and you never let it out is worse than blowing any engine any wreck you'll ever have. That is, of course, from the band Drive-By Truckers and their song Daddy's Cup off their Dirty South album, one that I would highly recommend. That'll do it for us this week, coaches. Make sure to give us a five-star rating and leave us a review if you're liking what you hear on this podcast. And until next week, keep your pads down.